All right, well, we're in a series called Covenant. Um, this is, we only have a couple left. Um, this one particular, we're going to be talking about the Davidic Covenant. And before I get into actually the scripture that talks about the Davidic Covenant, uh, I want you to tell, I want, I want to tell the story of actually uh, David and Bathsheba. And if you uh, know this story, um, here's basically um, the gist of it. David grew up in a family, uh, the youngest of siblings, um, just served his father in the best way he could, shepherding the flock, um, did everything that he felt like he was called to do, really at, really just a humble young man. Um, and in the middle of that, as you know the story, he actually gets promoted um, through various events um, and ends up with King Saul and coming into his court and actually uh, playing music for him to help him soothe anxiety and those kind of things. And if you know the story, there's conflict between Saul and David. One minute Saul loves David and what he can do for him. The next minute he's throwing spears at him and trying to kill him, um, which in my opinion uh, probably kept him nice and humble. <laughs> yeah? Um, if you got you know, things being thrown at you, it, it kind of keeps you from thinking you're, you're all that, uh, because here's the king trying to kill you. Um, and so we know he runs away, and as he's running and hiding, there's a group of people that start to follow him and look to him and go, man, the way you lead and, and the attributes of who you are as a leader, I'm attracted to. And I don't know if you've ever worked for somebody like that, but there's leaders that you're just attracted to, and these men are attracted to him and, and want to be a part of what he's doing, even though um, you know, he's running from the king. And so we go further into the story, and the king dies. And um, he gets promoted to be king of Israel. And so now he's got all of these people following him. And one of the things that I loved about David is what he, how he led was he led by example. He didn't ever ask anybody to do things that he wasn't willing to do. He would go out with the armies, and he would, he would do these things so that it just continued to attract and to bring people around him. But then something very interesting happened. All of a sudden, that leadership and that authority and that privilege and all of those people looking up at him and all those people admiring him, um, all of a sudden got to his head. And we pick up the story um, about Bathsheba where it says that in the time when kings would go to war, I don't even know what that means. They had a scheduled time to go to war. I, I'm sorry, side note, my brain, that's where I went. In a time where kings go to war, David decides to stay home. So he sends all these people that were loyal and honor and, and sends them off to battle, but this time he doesn't lead the charge. He stays at home. And while he's staying at home, it says that he's on the rooftop and he looks across to another rooftop and he sees this really beautiful woman bathing. And he is overcome with um, lust and says, hey, I, I want to be with that woman. And so he uses his authority. Now think about this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this when it comes to this story, but he uses his authority. He uses the kingship. He lets it become corrupt. And he actually sends somebody to go get this woman. And Bathsheba comes into his quarters. Now, and I don't know, it doesn't say, it doesn't say that she came... Um, and, and had, there was like, look, you're going to come because I'm the king or because, you know, when you have somebody in authority, sometimes people just come and, oh, I can't believe that person would want to be with me. We don't know, it doesn't say, but we do know that David slept with Bathsheba, okay? 
And the problem is Bathsheba is married. She's a married woman. And her husband is one of David's guys fighting for him when he chose to stay back, right? And so a couple weeks later, we find out that Bathsheba learns that she's pregnant. And so David's like, oh no, this is bad. So I'm going to let my corrupt leadership go ahead and influence another decision and decides I'm going to cover this up. Does this sound like anything today? And so he sends for Bathsheba's husband and he comes back and his hope is that he'll want to be with his wife and that they'll sleep together and then everybody can go, oh, well, when he came back, he impregnated her and that's why she's pregnant. Well, this man is a man of honor and he goes, hey, if everybody's serving in war, I will not go and be with my wife. And so he won't even sleep in his own home. And so David's like, crud, this isn't gonna work. So what does he do next? He admits what he did and tells the man, and they reconcile. No, the corruption continues and it just grows. Have you ever done something where it just keeps growing in your life and you just can't get out? Well, here's David. And so what does he do? He contacts the um, commander of the armies and he says, hey, put this man at the front of the line. And what I want you to do is when the battle gets to the severest, I want you to pull back and I want him to be fighting alone. And ultimately, I want him to die. And so that's what happens. They go to battle. He gets put in the front lines, and Bathsheba's husband is killed. Why do I tell that story? We're going to talk about the Davidic covenant in just a minute. And I want you to know that this is a covenant that not only was spoken to David, but I believe it is a covenant that God speaks over each one of us. And if a man who will let corrupt authority influence him to the point where he committed adultery and then went and had somebody murdered. If that man is considered by God a man after his own heart, what does that mean for you and I who have made mistakes? Now, he repents, and I'm going to be talking about it in just a few minutes and, and why he was a man after God's own heart. I'll talk about that. But the first thing that I want you to understand as we get into this Davidic covenant is that I'm pretty sure I can safely say that no one listening to me right now has used authority to commit adultery and then killed somebody. And so therefore, whatever you have done, Pastor Dan, you don't know what I, I don't know, but I can't imagine you, I mean, that's like the big three in our life, Yeah. I know God, sin is sin, all right? But for us, sin is like, okay, you got this one, this one, this one, and then, you know, white lies are down here, right? We have this sliding scale. I mean, what he did was some of the three biggest sins in our, in our sliding scale of sin. And, and yet, the Davidic covenant not only was spoken to him, but God has been faithful to that covenant ever since he spoke it. And so, if you find yourself listening right now and you think you're not worthy to receive the heart of God or to receive the message that he has for you, I want you to change your thinking right now. Because God is a God that loves us and cares for us so much that he sent his son. And his son, the word of God says that his son covered it all. All of it. Everything. Everything. That would have been a really good place for an amen. 
Okay, so you hear that story, and I know that you probably, if you're anything like me, I try to put it into today's terms. I, we have people around us that are using authority corruptly, yes? We have people that are doing things um, like adultery and murder and those things, yes? And what does it do? Does it give us compassion for that person? <laughs> no, right? There's something that stirs in us that, that gets angry and we feel like there's an injustice been done. But here's, I want to turn the table. What do you think God thinks about those that do these things? Have you ever thought of that? Because I believe what the word says and that every single one of us was fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb and that he has purpose and plans for every single one of his creation. And I believe that he has a heart of compassion. Is he happy that they're doing those things? Absolutely not. But does he get angry and want to smite them? I would submit no, because if that was the case, we none of us would be here. None of us would be here. But he has compassion. And so I'm gonna start reading about the Davidic covenant and here's what I'd like, and this kind of happened last night, and I don't know if it'll take place um, this morning, um, but as I'm speaking, I would love you to interrupt me, raise your hand, and, and share scriptures that may be coming to your mind as I start talking about these things, okay? Um, if you're new here, one of the things that I love is to have interaction as we're speaking, and uh, I don't want you to leave this room without any uh, or with questions in your mind. If you have something that, that is confusing, let me know, and I would love to uh, address it best I can. So covenant, just a remote, quick reminder. Covenant is a testament or a will that's between two parties. It's a set agreement having complete terms determined by the initiating party. Okay, and we've been talking through this series that God has set all these covenants in the word of God that we read through because he wants us to understand that he's initiating relationship with each one of us. And then the definition goes on and says, which also then, the terms, are fully affirmed by the one entering the agreement. So covenant is proof that God wants relationship with us, and covenant comes from an interaction of an in and out walking, talking relationship with our Lord. All right, he sets the terms and we agree to them. Now, here's what's really interesting. In this Davidic covenant, you can see these two things clearly displayed. You can find this covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You can also find it in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And so I'm going to read a portion of God's part, the terms where he initiates. And then I'm going to read out of 2 Samuel, David's response as he affirms the covenant. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to every single one of us and give life for us individually. This is not just a story about God and David. I believe this is the truth that the Holy Spirit wants us to understand of our Father and us. So as I'm doing this, as I'm going into this, make this very personal to you. Not for somebody else, but to you. Receive this for you. And so God defines the terms of the relationship in 1 Chronicles 17, and he says this. When your days are over, and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. Uh, I want you to say forever. 
Okay, how long is forever? Well, you guys are really smart. Um, is forever just until you die? It's eternal. It goes forever. And I will establish his throne forever. And I want you to listen to this part. I will be his father and he will be my son. All right, let's start talking about promises of God that he wants us to understand. He tells David that I'm going to establish this lineage and he will rule forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. I want you to understand that this isn't just between God and David and his offspring. I believe that this is for us to understand that he wants us to know that he's our father and we're his son or daughter. And if we would get this church, if we would wake up in the morning and have this understanding, and I know I teach this all the time, and I'm gonna continue to teach this until everybody goes, stop teaching it because I'm really good at it. But if you wake up in the morning and you go, I'm God's son. Woo, here we go. If you wake up in the morning and realize what we talked about last week, that you are holy, the Holy Spirit is in you, and because of that, you are holy and you are not common. And so that means this, when you walk into a room, you are bringing the power and the presence of the almighty God into the room. Man, get this. Because what our father wanted David to know, Solomon to know his son, and everyone else since then, is that when you have an understanding of who you are in him, then you are gonna walk in a power and authority that he wants you to walk in. And you become holy, not because of what you do or who you are, you become holy because of the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you walk in the things that he has for you. But you gotta first understand that he's your father, and you're his son or daughter. And you gotta wake up and walk out in that confidence. He goes as this, then he goes on to another proof or another promise. I will be his father and he'll be my son. I will never take my love away from him. I will never take my love away from him. Church, listen. I know you've done things, I've done things, and I know that the immediate fleshly response is, oh my gosh, I've done this thing, God, how can you love me? But the promise of the word of God is that he will never take his love away from you. He will never, ever take his love from you. He will never take his love from you. Be his valentine. But we've got to believe that. And we've got to bring that into us. And if we will do that, when we understand that love, we'll be the love into this world. When we grab a hold of that, when we get that understanding, we will walk in such a way that we'll radiate his love because we understand that he never takes his love from me. But I blew it last night. Yeah, so did everybody else in the room. He'll never take his love from you. It's his promise. It's his covenant. And he wants us to grab a hold of this. These are pretty cool terms of a relationship, yeah? I'll never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Forever. 
This is a covenant that wasn't just for a moment. This is a covenant that is to last forever. And so I want you to grab a hold of this. God is your father. You are his son or daughter and his love will never depart from you. And this is going to last how long? Forever. So God speaks that. David receives it. God speaks it. Ben, will you receive it? Ed, will you receive it? Donald, will you receive it? Will you receive it? David does, and then he affirms the terms of this covenant. 2 Samuel 7 says this, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Before I go into what he starts to pray, uh, I want you to grab a hold of this. When you have this understanding and when you realize the terms of the relationship that God has established with you, then all of a sudden you have a boldness and a courage to be able to pray bold prayers. I love what David said here. Because of this covenant, because of this covenant, I have found courage to pray this prayer for you. started talking about prayer last night and somebody raised their hand and they actually, um, they go, uh, man, I was just thinking about prayer. And this is what she said. What if, what would your life look like if God actually answered all your prayers? Not from a, oh my gosh, I just won the lottery and I, not, but think of it from a different, let me spin it a little bit. What would your life look like if he actually answered your prayers? Would your food be blessed? and your travel's safe, and that's pretty much all that would happen? Or would people in India be radically saved and transformed? Would your, your neighborhood be radically saved and come to the understanding of who Jesus is? I, <laughs> There's no condemnation, okay, in those who serve Jesus Christ. But could it be that the capital C church prayers have become weak and ineffective? Because first off, we haven't embraced the covenant that God has set, that he's our father, we're his kid, and that his love will never fail. And so therefore, we don't have a courage in us to actually pray bold prayers. So instead, what we do is we just don't pray anything. Or when we pray, we pray with no faith behind us, no no gumption behind. And I am speaking to me as much as to anybody else. God has been stirring in me right now this understanding that he wants us to walk in a power and he wants us to understand our authority in him and to speak that out. But the problem is our prayers many times are tainted. First off, the scripture that talks about, hey, you have not because you ask not. Okay, so I think we just addressed that. Maybe we should be asking for bigger, bolder things. But then it says this, and you do not receive because your motives are wrong. What is your motive of prayer? Why are you praying? Are you praying so that your life would get easier or are you praying so that God gets glory? Glory. 
Because what we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to be living our lives so that God gets the glory and so that um, whatever it takes for us, he would get the glory. And so are we praying so that things would get easier for us or are we praying so that we will make things point to God? Are you praying prayers like this? Even if it's difficult for me, as long as you get the glory, I'm okay. That's tough. But really it comes down to this question. Am I praying so that I can include God into my life or am I praying so that my life will be in him? Went to a conference that was uh, at The Rock. We emailed um, you about it and Kim and I went on Thursday night, Friday night and the speaker of Friday night actually talked about the power of this. And and he talked about, um, he talked about the pressing. Um, and so he gave this example. I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. Uh, and he probably stole it from somebody else, so it's just running on. So here's, here's the example. He said, when you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Okay, and everybody here. When you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Okay, great. When you squeeze a Christian, what comes out? You never know. Seriously, think about it. When you squeeze a Christian, what comes out? And let's be honest and let's be real. What comes out? Huh? What? Oh, blood. Oh, yeah. Very true. That if he's squeezed hard enough, blood will absolutely come out. Without what else? Love to it be love, but come on, let's be real. What comes out? Whining, complaining, language, filth. Yes? I've told this story before, but when we were youth pastors, uh, we're driving in a van. Pastor Terry's driving. We're going to this little conference thing. Kim and I are in the back seat. A car pulls out in front of us. Terry has to slam on his brakes. It comes almost to a screeching halt. I can't repeat what I said, but my wife goes, Oh, Jesus! May it be that when we're pushed, when we're crushed, when we're pressed, that Jesus comes out and not filth. And do you want to know how that happens? We have to get a right understanding of who we are in him. When we understand who we are in him, nothing else can bother us. Oh, get that. When you understand who you are in him, nothing else can bother you. But Dan, God hasn't answered my prayer. Well, not yet or not in the way you might want it right now, are you still giving him glory? Will you still lift him up? Will you still honor him? Because he loves you, and you know how I know it? Because he sent Jesus for you on the cross of Calvary. There's nothing else you have to think about. If you want to know whether God loves you, just look at the cross. But... God didn't answer my prayer about this person who was sick. Did that take God's love away from you? No. No. He loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die. And when he sets this covenant, and when he sent Jesus, and we're going to be talking next week about the new covenant that actually Jesus came, the true covenant, the covenant that really will last forever just in in the freedom of Jesus Christ and what he has done 
going to be talking about that. But when we have this understanding of these covenants, we get to a place where we can go, I have found courage to pray this prayer. And he goes on and says, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. And the thing I love about what David's response is this, I will pray bold prayers and I will believe what you have said. We have a church full of people that read their Bible, that listen to messages, but then don't actually take in the promises of God and live them. If we would take them in, if we would pull them into our heart, we would love in such a way because we understand God's love for us. When we read this stuff and we get filled with it and we go, oh my gosh, God, you are my father and you'll never take your love away from me and fill in all the other promises that you want to to build that confidence and that curse, then you're going to give those things to other people. When you understand that God forgave you, you will have no problem forgiving other people. How you doing? Is God speaking to anybody to you right now that maybe you need to forgive? Oh, but Dan, you don't know what they did to me. Well, then you're not filtering it through what Jesus did for you. You Okay. Again, no condemnation. And I know this is a tough word and it's challenging, but boy, when we get the understanding of this, it changes how we live. It changes our effectiveness in this world. We were at prayer last night and our youth pastor, Pastor Peter, actually talked about the love of God and how when we understand the love of God, it flows out into this world. When, I'm gonna say a bold statement here right now, When you don't love somebody else, you are not connected to God at that moment. And I'm not saying that you don't love Jesus or that he's not important in your life. We all have ins and outs, and I get it. We all stumble from time to time. But when you are not loving, it simply means you're not connected to the love giver. And let that be a litmus test. Let that be a little indicator like, like on a dashboard on your car that says, hey, ho-ho, you need some time alone with me. You need to be with me. Get with me. One of the psalmists, and this isn't David, but one of the psalmists in Psalm 89 actually speaks of this covenant. And I'm going to read a portion, not the whole thing, though you could take it home and read the whole thing. But Psalms 89, three through four says, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all the generations. Okay, so just again, and, and the more I'm reading the word, the more I see this reminder of the Davidic covenant. I was reading today in uh, Ezekiel and man, there was it talked about the covenant and the covenant that God had made with David. It's just amazing. It's all the way through the word. Uh, why? Because it points to Jesus who actually fulfilled all this, right? In verse 28, it picks up and says this, I will maintain my love to him forever. Okay, I said this before, I know, but if the Bible says it once, pay attention. If it says it two, three, four times, you, you better tune in. I will maintain my love to him forever and my covenant with him will never fail. 
I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endures. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, listen to this, listen to this. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. God will never take his love from you. But in the New Testament, there's several scriptures that says those he loves, he disciplines. Show of hands, how many of you love discipline? Not a single person. We don't enjoy this part, but I've said it before. I'll say it again. God loves you too much to leave you where you're at. And so he will use things in our life that come up so that we can grow closer to him, so that we can connect to him. And his love will never fail, but he'll use those circumstances to draw us to him. You want to know how to get out of the discipline quicker? Do you want to know? Repent, yes. Go to him. Learn the lesson. Stop complaining about it. And actually go to him and ask him what you're to do about it. There's no, I'm not going to say no, but there's very rarely any answer to the why question. Why, God? Why did this happen? Why, why, why? I have found that that question very rarely gets answered. But if you tr switch it and switch it to what or how, what do you want me to do or how do you want me to go through this? All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and all of a sudden it gives you direction and all of a sudden will begin to shape and, and help you to understand, hey, this is happening, so I'll grow closer to him. You're struggling in a relationship right now that you need to actually forgive. You know what? The quicker you grab a hold of God's forgiveness so that you can forgive that person and the more you'll be set free. The quicker you'll be set free from that bondage. He disciplines us. We don't like that. But in the middle of that, he says this, I will, never, I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. Church, grab a hold of this. This is a covenant that God spoke to David before his interaction with Bathsheba. And talk about a time where God could remove the, okay, whoa, buddy, you did not live up to the terms. Of the, you just used corrupt authority to commit adultery and commit murder. Uh, you know what? The thing I just spoke of you, I'm gonna remove it. Do you want a proof that God is faithful and God is good to his word? Here's the proof. Man, God spoke this over to David, and then David used corrupt authority, adultery, murder, and God didn't remove his hand. But what he did was he disciplined him. And the reason David is called a man after God's own heart is because he responded to the discipline. Because his heart was open to receive from the Lord. Nathan the prophet comes in and tells him an allegory and David gets super mad about the allegory and says, where is this man? I will kill him. And Nathan looks at him and says, you are the man. And it cut him to the heart, to the core. Reminds me of the scripture that says, the word of God will cut between bone and marrow. Man, it just cut him quick. And dude, he repented. He repented. And in the Old Testament, repent means to turn 
away from what you're doing. And so David, man, he turns. And the consequence of, of the sin is that the baby between he and Bathsheba died. If you know the story, the baby died. And David grieves and grieves, grieves all the way up to the birth because God says, hey, I'm gonna take your son. He grieves and grieves and grieves. But then the moment that he dies, David's like, okay, I've learned. And I'm gonna be a better man now. And he moves on from that. New Testament, the word repent changes a little bit. See how well I've taught you. See if, see if what I've spoken has resonated with you guys. The word repent in the New Testament, what does it mean? Bethel, are you here last night? Oh, you didn't stay last night. Terry, I'm so sorry. Well done. Give her applause. Yeah, this, sorry. That, I just, sorry. Okay, can we rewind? What does repent mean? Change mind. Good job. Yes, all right. It means to change your mind. And if you actually, if you actually go more into the definition, this is what it means. It means to change your mind after being with. Change your mind after being with. And so I think that when somebody hears this message and if they're convicted, they start to change their mind on their own. And that's not repentance. Repentance is actually spending time with God and letting him change your mind. Spending time with God and letting him change your mind. God wants us to think differently, church. He wants us to think differently. And if you could... Man, I wish I could communicate everything that's in my heart and my mind right now because if we could get this, if we could actually take this word and we could let it transform our mind, then no person would ever be able to bother us because we would know that we stand firmly grounded in him and that that's all that matters. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I've been teaching that, we've been talking about that, but we go after all these things before we go after him, yes? What he's saying is go after me, and if you will go after me, if you will take the promises of God, and if you will live them, just take even one little nugget every week and just live in that world, live in that place. It'll transform you. Man, all these scriptures are flooding in my mind. Be renewed daily. This is our act of worship so that we will know God's good, perfect, and pleasing will. Take every thought captive. Every thought captive. How are you doing? Are you taking every thought captive? Make it obedient. Subject it to Christ. And if it stands, then you can think about that thing. And if it doesn't, you need to dismiss it immediately. Boy, if we could get that, if we could do that, if we could actually take those thoughts captive and get really good at this, then what somebody says about you or a flat tire going down the road or whatever happens to you at work, it won't bother you because you will be grounded in Christ and you will know, you know what? It doesn't matter what takes place. God loves me and I know that because he sent his son Jesus. And so because he sent Jesus for me, for me, I'm not gonna let this bother me. It really comes down to Pastor Rob's message, which he lives by, and it just radiates from him. Are we gonna live 
from Adam or are we going to live from Christ? Adam stumbles, he eats the fruit, and because of that, sin enters the world and creates this desire to be led by our flesh. Jesus comes to reconcile the relationship between man and our Father. He becomes the perfect sacrifice. He takes all the sin. He takes all the mistakes. He takes all the things that we've done in our flesh. He puts it on his shoulders. He dies on Calvary with that weight on him so that you and I don't have to carry it any longer. And so it comes back to which which one will you live from? Will you live from Adam or will you live from Jesus? Because he has spoke these things over you and he wants you to believe them and he wants you to walk out in them. I'll finish just with this scripture. Um, Luke 1, the angel comes and presents himself to Mary in Luke chapter 1. And Mary's afraid, as you can imagine. Um, I, <laughs> if an angel came into this room right now, we'd all be on our face. Well, contrary to what you may believe or think, but every time an angel uh, or God appears to somebody, man, it's, it's a holy moment and it's scary. And so, as you can imagine, Mary is afraid, and this is what the angel says. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. I'm going to stop there real quick because for anybody that needs to hear this right now, you have favor. You have favor. Well, Dan, you're, you're taking a section of scripture that the angel was speaking that to Mary. Yes, that is true, but I would submit this. Jesus died so you would have favor. And we have to believe that. We have to take that in. We have to let that resonate inside of our heart. You have the favor of God on you. And don't think anything otherwise. Take that thought captive. What are you thinking right now? When I say you have favor, what is the thought that comes in? Is it a holy thought? Yeah, you bet I do. I'm God's favorite. Gosh darn it, and nobody can take that away from me. Or are you like, you have favor? Uh, no, no, I don't. Do you know favor has nothing to do with how your life is going? Oh, let me say that again. Favor has nothing to do with how your life is going. We have internally motive wrong said, hey, if life is good, I have favor. If life is bad, I don't have favor. Yes? I'm here to tell you, church, you have favor. And the way I can prove it to you is because God sent his son for you. You know, I think sometimes we generalize that statement. God sent his son for us. No, God sent his son for you. For you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. For, he sent him for you. When he died on the cross, I wonder if he didn't have each one of our names in his mind. Because he knew us then. He knew what he was doing. It wasn't for nothing that he went through all of that. It was for us so that we could walk in this covenant with him and have that understanding. Will you receive it?
Will you be like David and go, I agree to the terms of this relationship. I will walk with favor. I will no longer have pessimistic thoughts. I will only be optimistic. All the optimists in here, yeah, all the pessimists, like, that's impossible. Jesus died so that we could have the right perspective and understand that we are his favorite, that we have favor, that he is our father, that his love will never separate from us. He will never pull it away from us. He is consistent. He is true. He is faithful. He will not let us down. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. (laughs) He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Again, speaking to the forever portion of this covenant and the fact that God wants us to realize that when we grab a hold of this, when we comprehend it, when we realize that yes, this was a covenant between God and David, but he wants us to realize this is a covenant between God and man. And he doesn't want us to live from Adam, but he wants us to live from Jesus who died so that we don't have to carry the burdens that we're carrying. But so many of the burdens we carry are because of the way we think about things. Yes? I will finish with this. Um, As a father, I want to empower my children to make their own choices. That's what you do as parents, right? Healthy parents actually um, raise their kids so that they will make good, healthy choices. And when they're 25 and 30, 35 and 40, hopefully you're not still making decisions for them. Yes? am Am I speaking truth? Yes? We want them to grow up and we want them to make good, healthy choices on their own. Powerful choices. Things about where they're going to work, what they're going to do, how they're going to live, what house they're going to be at by, or are they going to rent. All, these are choices that we raise our kids up to hopefully make wise decisions in the middle of this. And we're imperfect. Our Heavenly Father is raising us up in maturity in our relationship with Him, and He's doing that so that we don't become a bunch of robots and just do whatever He tells us to do. He's actually trying to grow us up in maturity so that we will make good decisions and good choices when we face life. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life in abundance, but then He said this, in this world you will have trouble. Amen? You will have trouble. The question isn't, can I get out of having any trouble in my life? You're never gonna be able to do that. The question is, when trouble comes and impresses you, what comes out? What comes out? And I would submit the thing that comes out is the thing that you've preactively already determined in your mind, this is how I will respond. We are way too reactive as a society. You know what? Maybe our prayer times for the next week or two should be, God, help me to be proactive about the pressing. 
God, help me to be proactive. Help me to have your mind. Help me to have your thoughts when I have a run in with somebody. Help me to have your thoughts when something doesn't go right at work. Help me to have your thoughts when the guy in front of me just won't drive. How am I gonna respond in that moment? And God, I, I promise you, he'll go, hey, ease off and relax. But you know what my flesh does? You know, I was on Nine News several years ago for weaving in and out of traffic, creating road rage. I made the news. It was not good. You know what? God loves us and wants to be involved in the silliest, most practical things of our lives. And he wants us to get good at making right decisions. And we have the power to choose. Dan Muller at the conference said some incredibly bold things. He had a mother that was sick for several years that ended up dying, not getting healed here on this earth and dying. And Dan said, that didn't bother me because I know who I am in Christ. These are real life issues. He brought up abuse. He goes, well, Dan, somebody abused me when I was a kid. And he goes, hey, yes, guess what? Somebody did to me too, but I will not let that influence who I am. How many times do we look back into the injustices or in the harms that have been done to us and we let them ruminate and we revisit them and we stir them up and we focus on them and think about them and think about them and then use them as an excuse of why we can't make the right decision and we go on, oh man, I know this is tough, but here's the truth. Jesus died for that. Jesus died for that. And will you believe that, pull that in, and you don't go, hey, that, that sucked. But God's blood is bigger and better than that. And so I'm gonna apply it. And I'm gonna live from Jesus and not from Adam. You guys okay? God, I pray that you would help us. Help us with this. Help us to receive this. God, I pray that if there was anything I said that was, that, that was condemning, that was cutting, God, I pray before the, the person leaves this room, before they turn off the internet stream, God, that they would for, have forgotten what I said. But Lord, those things that you want to convict us with, those things that you want to sharpen us with, those things that you want to come into our hearts and you want to mature us in, God, I pray that you would stir them deeply in us. God, help us. Help us to understand that we are here to give you glory and we are not here so that you can make our life easier. But the beauty of it is when we seek you, all of a sudden blessings come. God, we seek you to bring you glory, not to receive, but in the middle of that, you give us the promises that you have put in your word. And so God, help us to have the right attitude and have the right mindset about these things. Help us to realize the power of what you have done on the cross and apply that to our everyday lives. God, help us to get good at being proactive about the pressing, the crushing and not reactive. God, help us to get into a place where we're so connected with you that when we're pressed, you come out of us and not the world.
God, make this real. Bring this into our hearts. Bring this truth into our minds. Help us to take every thought captive. God, so many scriptures that speak to this. Put on the new. Take off the old. Live in that way. Live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Galatians speaks about the flesh and the acts of the flesh versus the acts of the Spirit. God, help us to, when we read those, realize the areas that we need to give to you. And as I was led by you to do in worship, God, I pray that you would breathe life in dead areas. Breathe life over us in dead areas. Help us to understand that you died on the cross to take our burden. Jesus, you said, come to me all who are tired and weary, and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Help us to realize that you took a great heavy burden on your shoulders on that cross so that we wouldn't have to carry it today. And help us to realize that when we carry it today, we're reducing what the cross was supposed to be for us. And God, help us to not do that. Convict our hearts. Help us quickly see when we're doing that. And Lord, we thank you for the life that comes when we understand this and when we get this message. Now, Lord, help us to live it. Help us to figure out how to apply it in our lives. Lord, we thank you for these things in your name. Amen. Amen.